Hello, everyone. I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. And welcome to Cave to the Cross Apologetics, where uh, we take uh, the best and the brightest of the books that you've always wanted to read and break it down for you, do the heavy lifting, pretty much make Tony do it, and then I just <laughs> take the credit for it and make very cheesy jokes. Um, so we're in the midst of Nancy Piercy's uh, mm -hmm. book, Finding Truth, Five Principles for Unmasking Atheism, Secularism, and Other God Substitutes. Right. And so... What she's doing in this book is laid out kind of on, on this page where she says uh, she's trying to find a single line of inquiry that we can apply universally to all ideals. Mm -hmm. And so instead of having an exhaustive knowledge of every ism and oddity mm -hmm. and any possible where we would thing have that could come along. And then a comeback for each individual <laughs> right. ism or and, whatever. And yeah. for every critique that people have on, no, no, I don't adhere to that one, I, I, I am... B prime version <laughs> of it. Okay. Uh, so what she's uh, identified is uh, through the argumentation that Paul gives in Romans 1 uh, that she's identified these five principles that, um, that we're utilizing to critique a worldview or to uh, give an answer to a worldview. And, mm -hmm. and uh, obviously we want to um, compare it, contrast it with what the Christian worldview offers. Right. So, and so she's suggesting that these five principles then can apply to any worldview, any past worldview, existing worldview, even you know when, if, uh, right. new, when new ones come out. Yeah. These particular, these partic this particular line of reasoning then can allow us then to deal with any worldview. Right. So just remember five things instead of you know all the hundreds of different worldviews <laughs> that are out there. <clears throat> so uh, so far we've looked at uh, the first principle is uh, identify the idol. That's very important. Mm -hmm. uh, anything that's not the biblical Christian God. Uh, an idol is set up in God's place, as Romans 1 says. And so, uh, of course, you always have to define your terms first. And so um, here you have the, um, the, the identification, very important. Then uh, once something uh, has replaced God, obviously it's going to be a reduced view of uh, the Supreme Godhead. And uh, within its uh, frame of scope, uh, it's going to pull something from creation, mm -hmm. uh, which is going to be less than uh, what uh, what the Bible says, what God reveals to us uh, uh, is a, a reduction of humanity. Right. Uh, there, there's a lot of things that it can reduce, but if we focus on just where, uh, humanistically speaking, uh, it reduces uh, uh, humanity, uh, then it's easier to kind of uh, identify and critique. Right. So the idol is whatever the person's ultimate reality is. It mm -hmm. might be materialism. It might be, you know, a rationalism, whatever that person holds as uh, as the right. final authority and ultimate reality. Mm -hmm. But all of those things are part of creation, and therefore that idol then is less than the true and the living God. And so they have to reduce their view of, of the way, especially the way uh, people are, right? right? Yep. what she's getting at here. Yep. Right? And so we've, we've covered a little bit of, of those uh, of those areas uh, in, in previous episodes. And uh, currently we're in the midst of principle number three, which is to test the idol. Does it contradict what we know about the world? So um, th there are kind of two major critiques of, of things. Uh, whether they can be consistent internally within itself, and then we'll look at that in the next chapter. Uh, but then uh, what what she does first after uh, finding the reduction is then say, what, what what else does it say about the world that uh, that we can observe and agree on, and where where is it um, 
falling short from mm-hmm. from from making those. And we've started actually uh, to to look at a few people, a few very very honest um, uh, philosophers, uh, uh, authors, uh, um, people that that speak about this in general, and uh, pretty much they've <laughs> reduced humanity to uh, <laughs> robots, uh, yeah, so. r- robots, <laughs> slaves, um, uh, un- unthinking, uh, just going through the motions. Um, uh, un, uh, unable to make choices, uh, and so uh, essentially that's uh, it's, um, that's where we're at right now. And we're going to look at a few more uh, uh, very important uh, people within the world of this um, kind of understanding of a different perspective of what uh, if 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 God doesn't exist, w- what does humanity really boil down to? What 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 is our purpose? Uh, mm-hmm. we, we started this chapter looking at a at a woman teaching her her children or her child that uh, she's insignificant in this world (laughs) and that what she does really doesn't amount to anything, uh, which is very, very, uh, you know, hearty. Uh, The participation trophies, I think, uh, are are even more meaningless than than that one. (laughs) Yeah. So, so, you know, does the worldview contradict what we know about the world? Right. right? That's that's this particular uh, principle here. And she's trying to show that if indeed you can't live with your worldview because it doesn't allow us to live in the world that, that God has created, then clearly something is wrong with it. Yeah, right? yeah. Th- th- there's a lot of, um, it, it appears like we have free will, but I know we don't, but I'm not going to address that. Or uh, it, I it, will address it, yeah. but, and I'll say that free will... Uh, is just an illusion, but we can't live without. It. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah, <laughs> yep. And so, uh, uh, what we're going to dig into is uh, again uh, very prominent people um, um, talking in in detail about uh, what what their system offers us to look at. Uh, the, again, they've they've replaced uh, God with uh, humanity or. Uh, so, some some lesser version of God, and so uh, that's that's where we're at uh, right now. Uh, so uh, uh, Professor Piercy says that an effective strategy in apologetics is to help people see more clearly where their worldview leads. When they realize their idol-centered worldview fails the practical test, that insight may open them to the case for a biblical worldview. And again, that's always going to the point. Right? We're we're not. Rubbing in people's faces, we're not putting the thumb in their eye. We're not uh, doing various things with our hands and people's faces. Uh, there's no gotchas. Uh, right. our, our whole purpose is to to replace their worldview with uh, with the, the more superior one, one that explains and takes the the, the part that they have, uh, which may not always be fully incorrect, mm-hmm. uh, but it doesn't speak to the broad picture at hand because they have to uh, say, well, it appears this way. But it can't be, right. and so we're we're kind of uh, able to take all those points and and make the the some of the parts you know uh, whole. Right. So what we're really doing is clarifying for them <clears throat> what they believe and the implications right. of, it. Right. in hopes that they'll see how um, how that doesn't work, right? Right. And therefore uh, they'll be more inclined to accept yeah. and be persuaded, as Paul says, uh, persuaded to uh, to accept. Uh, um, the true and the living God mm-hmm. and the Christian worldview. Yeah. So, the, so the examples that that she brings up uh, are are people who are very clear on their stance of this is what I view of humanity, uh, and uh, here here seems to be the the problems that arise. For example, Marvin Minsky from MIT. He's well known 
for uh, the saying uh, that uh, the human brain is nothing but a three-pound computer made of meat. <laughs> and obviously, since computers do not have the power of choice, the implication is that neither do humans. And then, surprisingly, Minsky then asks, does that mean we must embrace the modern scientific view and put aside the ancient myth of voluntary choice? Well, it seems so, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, computers, that's, yeah. well, that's all we are. Yeah. And uh, uh, computers don't make choices. So voluntary choice is a myth, right? And we, we should shirk it away and just live with the fact that we don't have voluntary choice. Well, no, we cannot do that, is what he says. Why not? He goes on to say that no matter the, that the physical world provides no room for the freedom of will, absolutely none, even though it appears that way, that concept is essential to our models for of the mental realm. Again, tr doing this this uh, dichotomy of, of a, a lower room and an upper room, the things that uh, that aren't real get put up in the attic and, and outside the box, outside the scope of, of uh, needing to explain. We cannot give it up. We're virtually forced. And again, uh, uh, <laughs> Professor Piercy says, uh, here, here, are, here are the big key words to uh, identify when, when someone is idle talking. <laughs> not, not idle talking, but idle talking. <laughs> that we're virtually forced to maintain that belief, even though we know it's false. False th that it is, according to Minsky's materialistic worldview. Mm -hmm. So again, this is this uh, double think that uh, that um, uh, is clearly being established here. He is not referring to merely cultural customs or traditions that can differ from society to society. These are truths that humans cannot not know. So it, it, it uh, it's it's things that we know. It's we hold people accountable for their actions. Um, it's why the law courts exist. It's why. Uh, we tell our children not to do something. Um, you know, th th there's there's a myriad of of cultural and civil and uh, just uh, moral uh, claims that we we make on people that that um, is is a signal for a voluntary choice. Uh, trying to convince somebody of something that uh, a, a debate to have. Uh, is all signals of voluntary free choice, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so uh, he, here he he's he's uh, moves to the upper story. So uh, uh, in in his so so we could ask Minsky, and, and again, yeah. the, we, we, the uh, this is moving into the next chapter. But you know, so if everything is that we do is just uh, you know part of the deterministic deal, then if you're determined to do this, then why should I? If you're determined <laughs> right. to say what you say, then why should I pay any attention? To it, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it it's falls, just your determinism that's allowing you to say this. And so, right. you know, I, maybe I have a different determinism, and that's why I'm, I believe the way right. I believe. So. so, again, just computers are, are made of meat. That's that's our brain. <laughs> uh, but then this this freedom of will that we seem to experience, that's all outside the box. That's that's on top. And uh, clearly that that's, that's all fake, even though um, it seems we cannot do otherwise. Uh, they take a leap of faith and put it in the upper story. Uh, this is a far cry from the biblical concept of faith, uh, but here is is uh, she's talking about a different uh, leap of faith. Uh, so uh, when we walk by faith, not by sight, some Christians seem to think that uh, um, that Paul is speaking metaphorically, and by faith it it means not reason. But Paul is speaking literally here. He he means sight when he says sight. Non-material realities are invisible. They cannot be seen. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. And so <clears throat> uh, it's it's one thing to 
see the resurrection of Jesus, right? Um, you know, if, if you see a, a dead person uh, uh, put, put alive, that, that's something that you could say, okay, I don't need faith to see that because I saw that happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, we're removed from that historical sense. So uh, even, even there, we have to remain faith. But when Jesus then says, I was raised from the dead because I was, uh, I'm, I'm here to pay for your sins, well, that's I, uh, there's no scientific testing of that. You can't right. petri dish it. You can't right. titrate it. Um, that that's that's the type of faith here. But when when secularists kind of um, uh, project themselves into this this uh, faith mode, uh, th- there's literally nothing for them to uh, to, uh, to to leap into mm. because uh, mm. they, they they don't embrace anything. <laughs> that's right. So. The secular project leads to the suicide of the intellect and the uh, disintegration of the person. By contrast, the Christian worldview is amazingly positive, affirming both the unity of truth and the holistic commitment of the thinking person. Yeah, yeah. good. So the next section is she's she's entitled uh, Atheism versus Civilization. <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and um, she says in Romans 1, Paul warns that idols lead to destructive behavior. Right to right. moral and social breakdown. I mean, just th- think about what we've talked about so far. You're 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 nothing but meat. Uh, you you have no. Um, uh, you, you're nothing but stardust. You're you're uh, essentially a slave. What actions will come from teaching people that, believing that? Yeah. I mean, clearly there are implications. Your, your your belief system isn't divorced from your actions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I if I don't believe that there's a wall in front of me, right? <laughs> yeah. And I've given this illustration before, and I take off running, right? <clears throat> my belief system is going to have a really uh, uh, going to have a drastic effect on my nose. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, <clears throat> so she says that um, amazingly, some secular thinkers uh, recognize Paul's warning, and she quotes here uh, philosopher Saul. Uh, Smolensky, um, he's a determinist who regards free agency as an illusion, right? He uh, yet he considers it a fortunate illusion because it makes notice civilized life possible. <laughs> I mean, that, that's not just you know, oh, you you happen to have a blind spot in your eye, and, yeah. and you know nothing's really happened. Just all of civilization rests on the fact that yeah. we have this fortunate illusion, right? Right, and so he urges society's elites to persuade people that they are responsible agents in order to maintain a healthy sense of moral duty and responsibility. Yeah. So right? he can believe that. Free will is an illusion. That's fine. And he can know that he, that's the case. He right? is the most dangerous person in society. <laughs> yeah. He is letting out the secret. Yeah. But he should be locked in a cave. That's right. He's the one that's yeah. unpersuaded, Ooh, right? man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so uh, Smolensky here, she says, summarizes by saying, we cannot live adequately with a complete awareness of the absence of free will. Thus, we ought to hold on to those central but incoherent or contradictory beliefs in the free will case, right? And so uh, she makes the point, what are the telltale uh, phrases that, he's, that uh, he is um, uh, that is challenging general revelation. In other words, what the world is really like. What are those phrases? Well, his admission, she says, that we cannot live <laughs> on the basis of what uh, his worldview teaches, that we ought to hold on to a contradictory belief in free will. Ooh, oughts. Yeah. Uh, those, those nasty ought words. <laughs> yeah, really. So, you know, his materialistic worldview then gives him no basis for any moral ought, as you're mentioning here, right? Because that word implies 
realize that humans are capable of making more choices when he's already said we're not able to do that. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's uh, so a review of his book points out that he is an advocate of a, as she has been saying, a two-tier system, right? There are those um, in the know, mostly philosophers and scientists, who, are, who know what's going on, right? <laughs> uh, who are, as you mentioned, probably uh, based on what he's saying, the most dangerous people in yeah, the world. absolutely, right? absolutely. Uh, and uh, then there's the rest of us, yeah. right, who are, you the know. The plebs. That's uh, right, the bumbling, the, stumbling. Yeah, the, you know? the dirt eaters, <laughs> yeah. And, and again, nothing new under the sun. This is this is what Gnosticism was, the secret things that they, they were to reveal. And they, you know, if you were a Gnostic, you were you were kind of judged by what leader you adhered to, and granted, m- most of those leaders all died out because of you know the, the if if you have a secret group, if you let everybody in, it's it's not the it's not the it's, best thing. It's in the not world. secret anymore. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> but it, it never led to the downfall of Western civilization here. So she tells us that when we hear people talk about ideas that are false yet necessary for uh, humane s- social order, that's a signal that they have bumped up against the hard edge of reality that does not fit their worldview. Tony's wall. That's the wall that smashes the (laughs) nose, right? They have stumbled upon uh, the truths of general revelation, the way God has really uh, created the world, basically. And uh, they're seeking to suppress those truths by demoting them to useful fictions. In other words, putting them up in the second story mm-hmm. uh, or the second part of the box, or sticking out of the box, right? That sort of thing. And she says, it's remarkable how Paul's description in Romans 1 of the dynamics of suppression makes sense of the latest modern worldviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, then comes uh, our good friend Richard Dawkins. Mm-hmm. And uh, how does how does the, the master of new atheism himself deal, deal with this kind of... Uh, Worldview. Right, and we should point out here that she's doing something very important here. She's just not making claims. She is documenting what real people say and believe right. about their own right. worldview. Yeah. Right? Real people and smart people, we would suggest, even, mm-hmm. right? She's documenting that uh, because she's just not, you know, she, these are not ad hominem or attacking uh, right, know, right. False Let them speak for themselves. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, so uh, Dawkins says that uh, humans are merely, and again, merely should be a key key word there, uh, survival machines. They're robot vehicles bl- br- blindly programmed by their genes. We're wow. we're just we're just uh, you know slaves to our genes. Uh, you know the selfish gene that he's written. Um, you know different memes and and um, his uh, blind watchmaker. Uh, um, um, that uh, the books that he's written all point to this. Uh, we're just uh, in modes of survival, yeah. uh, and and our genes uh, push us along, and we don't really have um, any way to to make make choice. Yeah, and so you know, again, we need to ask Dawkins the question. So, are you programmed to say that? <laughs> you know, are you programmed to believe that? And if so, why should we right. pay attention right. to it? How do we know it's true yeah. or false? Right. Right. So, <laughs> I think that illustrates a really good point: is that these one, two, three, four, five points, uh, you know, principles um, can can flow and 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 you can interchange them, and it's not a you know a a a, a roadmap. It's right. it's um, main points to hit on because, yeah, it it seems like here you're, you're you're giving them the the implications of okay, well, this is what you see out in the world. Well, then. Uh, you know what? What? What are your actions that that govern you when you when you kiss your children goodnight? But also, 
if you're saying that's the case, then here are the implications uh, based on on your worldview. So why should I, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, listen to to you and not to my genes? My yeah. genes tell me right. that God exists. So mm-hmm. so therefore, God does exist, right? It, it it helps me with my survival. So, um, you know, it's it's not just. Uh, uh, okay, well, we're in principle three now. We got to wait for a few more interactions back and forth. <laughs> yeah, now, yeah. principle four, and wow. now we can present the gospel. Yeah. Um, these things can can interchange, but um, she's highlighting these these points. Yeah, uh, so, in, in Dawkins' mind, a person has no more freedom than a little red car. <laughs> However, when press when pressed on the issue after a lecture, Dawkins admitted that he does not practice what he preaches. Well, that's wow. weird. Yeah. He does not treat the well, very I guess he's idea. Programmer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the, he does not treat the very idea of responsibility as nonsense. He does not hold people responsible. Or he does hold people responsible for their actions. I blame people. I give people credit. Is what he says. Hmm. But don't you see that's an inconsistency in your worldview? Uh, is the response and Dawkins replies, "I sort of do, yes, but it is an inconsistency that we sort of have to live with. Otherwise, life would be intolerable." Hmm. So. You don't have the ability to freely choose, but if you chose to act that way, uh, you'd be intolerable. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, again, you know. Well, the, if everybody the, chose to act that way, he says, <laughs> life is intolerable. Yeah, right? I can choose to act like yeah. this, but not not, not everybody else. That's right. Uh, so, uh, again, it's it's uh, it's a a, um, a signal uh, of, of when, when people are unable to live uh, it, within their scope of the of their worldview, uh, you know, it it would be the same thing as uh, if everyone believed that two plus two equals five, and we kept uh, shooting our rocket towards Mars, and it kept veering right. <laughs> you know, it, at some point we have to we have to say, okay, may, maybe we need to reestablish what our basic assumptions are of arithmetic, and say maybe we got we've gotten something wrong, hmm. uh, and and that's even a, even a a, a poor illustration because uh, with that you can check arithmetic right, itself right. but what we're saying well you can check it against the way the world is and the way sure. math works and that sort of thing but, and that's really what we're saying here, right, right? Check but it against here, the world. here right. is their basic belief system and this is this is you know again almost I don't want to say a dangerous but the you're 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 causing people to try to, to convince them to upturn their most basic belief system. And and Romans 1 tells us that um, that uh, is a disastrous right, behavior. W- 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 you will worship something. Yeah. And so you, they'll either move on to the next idol, which then, again, you'll just go through this process again, or they're forced to confront the fact that they live in God's world and they're subject to God's, uh, you know, uh, being, being a creature of God. And there are implications that Paul talks about from believing these things. And it's a whole lifestyle that people would have to uproot and change if they adhered to these, uh, if they um, logically went through with a consistent viewing of their worldview. Right, yeah. So So, it's dangerous kind of in both ways. So God, Romans 1 says, gives them over, allows them to, you know, to go to the end, allows them to smash their nose against the wall. Okay. Right. And, oh, and, how could God do such a thing? <laughs> in hopes that they'll come to themselves like the prodigal son did, right? And realize <laughs> yeah. that, oh, wait a minute, you know, there is a wall there. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Her next section, uh, she picks on um, Einstein. Well, you can't do that. Yeah. Einstein's uh, dilemma, she says. She says, what we learn from these examples is that many prominent thinkers live in a two-story or bipolar existence, right? In their professional work, they adopt a reductionistic philosophy that regards people as essentially nothing (laughs) or unable to do anything. But when they leave their laboratories and go home for the day, they have to switch to a contrary paradigm in order to treat people justly and humanely to avoid life that is, as you mentioned, intolerable. Yeah. Right? So even the great Einstein, she tells us, was caught in the same dilemma. On the one hand, he writes, human beings in their thinking, feeling, and acting are not free Einstein, are not free, but are as causally bound as the stars in their motions. We're just, just we're, the way that, Yeah, we're, the, we're planetary bodies. You could, you could <laughs> land rovers on us. We are so conditioned to, to just be non, non-willing uh, entities. Unable yeah, uh, to yeah. will. Right? Yeah, we, we, are, we are specks of dust on a planet orbiting, and so we are just following the motion of our previous cause and effects. Yeah, yeah. But she says, uh, on the other hand, he says, I'm compelled to act as if free will exists because if I want to live in a civilized society, <laughs> I must act responsibly. Wow, right? Yeah. So notice she says Einstein's phrase, as if, is the giveaway. Yeah. Right? That he is talking about an irrational leap of faith. And uh, she knows that the source of this phrase is in the writings of another German, Immanuel Kant, right? On the one hand, Kant thought that science led to the conclusion that humans are elements in a vast machine operating, you know, by the laws of physics. But on the other hand, he said, um, to salvage morality, we must act as if we were free, right? And to ratify our moral standards, we must act as if God exists. This is a really interesting argument. So Kant here is suggesting that uh, we have to act as if God exists in order to be moral creatures. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? So he says, you know, he says, for instance, justice. Well, justice doesn't exist. Ultimate justice doesn't exist in this world. Right. Yeah. There are lots of people that get away with stuff, mm-hmm. right? And so... There must be an afterlife, or at least we have to act like there's an afterlife where somebody is going to be ultimately judged. But in order to be ultimately judged, you have to have a judge who is a uh, who uh, who's knows all the facts, who's all knowing. Otherwise, they could be judged in error, and that's not justice, mm-hmm. right? And you have to have a judge who is uh, who is good so that they can be judged correctly and rightly according to a moral standard, right? And finally, in order for justice to exist, you have to have a judge who is able to back up the judge the judgment that they adhere to, right? <laughs> in other words, they have to have the power in order to, um, you know, to, adhere, to, to, to apply the justice. So what you have is an afterlife, you have an all-knowing, all-good, all-powerful judge. What does that sound like to you? A work of fiction, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> but and again, like these are these are ideals that have fostered the the up until now the modern Western world, and it seems like 
it's the whole ha- have your cake and eat it too. Uh, you know, it's it's the the <laughs> communist role of uh, once the capitalists come in, the, those evil capitalists, and they they build society. Then we come in and take, and then we bleed it dry until oh, that wasn't real socialism. Right, and, right. and so it's like, well, <laughs> right, because you you completely upended everything, and now you want to say that this is the opposite. And 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 uh, along the lines of justice, we, you know, we have we have this ideal. Of you know we'd we'd re- rather a, a thousand guilty men be set free than than an innocent man be sent off uh, to to pay for a crime he didn't commit. I mean that 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 right there the, it, within it is the scope of the idea of what you're saying is that uh, there's justice that's meted out. Uh, yes, not here in in this world, but mm-hmm. in the next. And so yes, the guilty men will always pay the penalty for their actions always yeah. uh in 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 some capacity uh but then if an innocent person pays uh, uh inappropriately in this life they've wait they've 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 been um uh, they've had their life stolen from them that uh, that didn't need to be, and so that's how careful we should be within the meting out of justice. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's a Christian ideal. Yeah, they're borrowing from yeah. Christianity. And, and so why should we do that from now? Our world it seems like now we should we should just uh, uh, hang them and hang them high, all of them, because mm. uh, you know uh, if if a guilty person uh, g- goes unscathed, then. Uh, they could uh, get away with it, so it's best to, you know, plant evidence and 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 do all these nasty things that we we find abhorrent. But that's that's not how they're, right, they're right. Well, if you don't believe that there's going to be ultimate justice at the end of something, right? And this person is about to get free, and you are, you know, you are committed somehow that there must be justice. Then what do you do? Right? You have to you have to kind of fake it. She says uh, here. That in Kant's view, Kant's view, it's impossible to know whether these theological teachings are true, right? So he's, you know, he says we really don't know. But to encourage moral behavior, he says we must live as if, as if they were true. The phrase "as if" then signals a concept that uh, has been moved to the upper story, right? So here, morality is moved. We have to live as if these moral concepts are true, these theological concepts are true, and so he puts them in the upper story, right? Because there may, it's impossible to know, but we still have to live as if they are true, mm-hmm. right? And so there, this concept is if. So instead of giving up the worldview because of these types of situations, right, in the face of contrary facts and that sort of thing, she says that folks that believe like this <laughs> endure a severe mental schizophrenia. Right. right. On one hand, you want to say, well, we, we are all robots. And then on the other side, you say, whoa, whoa, you can't live like robots. Yeah. That, Life will be bad for me, at, at least me. <laughs> right. And then I want to live in a civilized up. world. Yeah. yeah. So, can you program yourselves not to be robots then? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, she goes on to say that we still live in in the shadow of Kant, and, and that's that's clearly the case. Uh, computer scientist Eric Baum uh, argues that the mind is essentially a computer program produced by evolutionary process. Thus, free will is an illusion. The logical <laughs> argument is airtight. He insists, and then he adds. But who really cares for all practical purposes? It's much more reasonable and practical for my genes to build me believing in free will and for me to act and think as if I have free will. It's a useful fiction. Hmm. Well, that's 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 nice. Uh, evolutionary process has, has uh, uh, provided us incorrect data 
uh, just so that we survive. And so there are things like uh, math and logic. Th those things can be just illusions as well, right? <laughs> Necessary fictions, useful fictions. So we can't really know anything about the world. Yeah. Oh, that, that's 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 the next chapter too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, uh, the. Um, uh, free will is a very useful theory for describing human behavior rights, yet it is still wrong. To be precise, it's not even wrong because it cannot be given any logical interpretation, at least not within his worldview. And Baum concludes that the belief is simply mystical. Oh, wow. That, that sounds very scientific. <laughs> that sounds very uh, qu quantitatable and qualifiable. Uh, one group of thinkers even label, even have been labeled Mysterians, argue that human intelligence is simply not equipped to solve the mystery of consciousness, that it evolved to solve, pure, uh, to, to solve purely practical problems like obtaining food and making tools. Yeah, because uh, having an idea of what is truth and, uh, you know, what, what, what is, uh, um, you know, what does Socrates say, you know, what, what is uh what is uh, the highest ideal that we can uh, ascribe to? Yep, those those are only for finding foods and, and, and making tools. Of course, there's all kinds of organisms that aren't, we would suggest, aren't conscience, conscious that find food and... Uh, and make tools, yeah, yeah. ravens. Uh, <laughs> put little pebbles in to, to make the, the water well, level go yeah. up and find water. Well, especially finding food, right? Bacteria finds food. <laughs> right. Right? Viruses find food, mm. right? So, yeah. Uh, a, a, rep, a representative of this group, Colin McGinn, writes, Consciousness must have evolved from matter somehow, but nothing we could contrive or imagine seems to offer the faintest hope for explanation. We just don't have the faculties of comprehension that would enable us to remove the sense of mystery. <laughs> Francis Schaeffer, of course, the great Francis Schaeffer in uh, The God Who Is There, observes that every worldview containing a two-story dualism leads ultimately to mysticism. Hey, look at that. Yeah. The, the, they'll he even take it. He called it, what, yeah. 40 years before? <laughs> he called his shot. He pointed out over the fence. <laughs> yeah. He swung. Yeah. And uh, by, by pure uh, um, a practical uh, robotic uh, adherence, it, it went in that direction. 50 years, 60 years before it happened, <laughs> yeah. or before they got there, Sprite Schaefer, you know, it's kind of like that old uh, saw where you know the philosopher does everything it's climbs the mountain and huffs and puffs finally gets up to the top and he finds that it's full of theologians right? <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, so the mysticism in the sense that adherence must affirm truths that their own worldview cannot rationally explain you have to call it a useful fiction you have to call it a mystery uh, yet when when you know uh, uh, Christians have this idea of uh, revealed will and prescribed will, we say that uh, that there are things that are prescribed to us that we should do, uh, but uh, th there are actions that happen in the world that we we don't have an understanding to um, why God allows it, but we have to be uh, we should be certain in the fact that God is good and a just judge and everything like that. Uh, so that there's a mystery aspect to it. Um, you know, th then that's oh, that's that's you uh, wanting to save uh, your your double-minded uh, philosophy of, of of this God. But when they do it, it's fine because yeah. it's just a product of evolution, and right. so right. they're they're good. Yeah, yeah, it's okay for them. Yeah, right? <laughs> because they're the yeah, they're the elites. <laughs> yeah, they're the scientists. <laughs> um, this next section is, she's entitled Darwinian Psychopaths, hmm. right? She says, Romans 1 says that God gives people up. So that's kind of what we were mentioning right. uh, a bit ago. To pursue their idols ever uh, further 
increasing the gap between what they profess and what they practice, right? So they profess something like no free will, but they practice we do have free will, and they hold people morally responsible <laughs> yeah, And we for hope what other people have free will. Yeah, right? She says, we can picture our worldviews falling along a continuum. The more consistently people work out the logic of their worldviews, the more reductionistic the result will be. Sure. The wider the gap and the further it leaps into irrational mysticism. The choice facing them uh, becomes ever clearer. Will they follow the evidence of general revelation, right? Or will they cling to their theories in the face of the evidence, right? In other words, will they continue to bash their nose against the wall, right? Right. So she wants us to follow uh, follow a series of examples. She'll start here with uh, Slingerman. Um, and she wants us to see where his, uh, his philosophy ends, right, where it ends. So as a Darwinist and a materialist, he acknowledges that uh, his reductionist view of humans as essentially robots is contrary to ordinary experience. No doubt. Right. right. <laughs> it is alien, quote, uh, alien and often repugnant from any source of human uh, perspective. So gesturing toward his own daughter. So now it gets personal. Mm-hmm. Right? Slingerman writes, at an important and irrevocable level, the idea of my daughter as merely a complex robot carrying my genes into the next generation is both bizarre and repugnant to right. me. Right. right? As as it ought to be. Right. right? Yeah. Such a reductionistic view, um, uh, Nancy Piercy tells us, inspires in us a kind of emotional resistance and even revulsion. Yeah. So Slingerman is revulsed at, at uh, the outcome of of his worldview. Right. right. He he looks looks at his daughter and says the the purpose of his life is just to carry on the his genes. Yeah. That's the biggest one. So yeah. he looks at his daughter and goes, I've made it. There's my daughter. She's alive. Success. Right. I've succeeded in life. That's and right. that that's all she is, is just <laughs> a product of of uh, you know, it's it's his blue ribbon. A gene carrying machine. <clears throat> and then to go further and say her only purpose is to continue to carry my genes and so she's just a sack of meat to a father or to to to, to uh, birth a child and continue the uh, at least only uh, half of his or a quarter of his uh, and he his recognizes DNA. that that's bizarre yeah. and repugnant right right I mean that's which it's, yes yeah you know it's revolting <laughs> yeah, you know right. to think about that indeed she says he writes if you do not feel that revulsion something is wrong with you. Right? Well, he's just not making this easy at yeah. all. He says uh, there may well be individuals who lack this sense and who can quite easily and thoroughly conceive of themselves and other people in purely instrumental, mechanistic terms. But we label such people psychopaths <laughs> <laughs> and quite rightly try to identify them and put them away somewhere to protect the rest of us from the folks that uh that live out, attempt to live out what he says we should believe or what he says is the, is the case, right? right? He, uh, so Nancy Pearcey tells us, what can we say when someone urges us to adopt a view of humanity that he himself admits is bizarre and repugnant, a view that ought to inspire revulsion, a view so dangerous that when acted upon, it would be, it would be justifiable for us to label people as sociopaths <laughs> and lock them up, Right? Uh, she says there's a severe clash between what his Darwinian materialism tells him in the downstairs 
This is what's true, right? And what his lived experience tells him in the upstairs. Mm -hmm. And I don't really believe that, you know, I don't really believe this, but I got to live that way. So which one will he accept right. as true? Right. right. People are computers, and so their actions, you should arrest them and hold them accountable and punish them based on th their, their choices from uh, a, a, a system that is uh, cold, hard facts and logic. Yeah. And so we don't do that. <laughs> we don't do that with computers. Yeah, really. Yeah, you know, the, the uh, nuclear missile uh, launches uh, um, uh, prematurely and we go, oh, it's got a bug. Yeah. But we don't say it made a moral action. It's That's wrong. Right. That's right. Uh, it, it needs to be punished. That's right. And, you know, no, no more RAM for you. <laughs> well, no, that's not at all what we do. We're going to unplug you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> right. She says, um, so she says to describe this kind of clash that uh, uh, that we see here, uh, she thinks maybe cognitive dissonance uh, may be too tame of a word. And she says this, uh, she says this is a searing contradiction, Right. Paul writes that those who build their lives on idols become futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts are darkened, Romans 1.21. And so, uh, you know, she says um, the Greek word for futile here means unproductive, ineffective, failing uh, to achieve its purpose. As this example clearly shows, idol-based worldviews do not produce what a philosophy of life is meant to give us. And what's that? A coherent logically satisfying worldview that makes sense of all of life. Right. right. Everything has to fit in the box. Yeah. And so she says, no wonder Paul writes that those who reject the creator are without excuse. The phrase right. means without a defense. Right. It's kind of, um, it's using that word that we get apologetics from. Right. Uh, it originally referred to a legal defense in a courtroom. So these people are without excuse because they're, banging their nose up against the wall of reality and they're attempting to tell us that that doesn't exist mm -hmm. right so the strength of her approach she reminds us is that uh, it shows why worldviews fail on their own terms on their own terms this is what you say you the way the world is and yet you can't live consistently like that and you have to uh, pretend that something else is the case in order to be able to live out in the world. Right. It's an illusion. Uh, it, it only appears that way. Yeah. You can't live uh, despite of uh, the, the, the initial belief, all those things. Right. And so what we do then is we kind of show them on their own terms, you know, where their worldview leads us in terms of how, uh, you know, how it relates to the real world. She says it's really persuasive to criticize other uh, views from within your own perspective. All that really shows is that those other views disagree with you. Instead, you must step imaginatively inside other perspectives to show from within why they lack explanatory right. power. Right. right. So uh, uh, a, w a window versus a mirror. So you're you're on the the. the the side of the living room you're pointing out into the world that they are claiming is there and you're showing them through the window uh here here's your implications that this is what you want this this is your ex explanatory power and hopefully they'll either say yes and then you can call them a psychopath which they <laughs> then call themselves right right or what you do then is you hold up the mirror to them and say uh you know it can can you then live within your own uh, means does does the the system that you would adhere to uh, kind of self implode? So mm -hmm. that's uh, that's the next uh, uh, principle that we'll right. get to. Right. So should we? Uh, 
I mean, we're going to have to. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're going along here, and so I, yeah. I think we're going to have to uh, yeah, the, finish this. The next episode uh, next will episode, will, yeah. will be will be a little bit short uh, just uh, to, to get through the rest of it, and uh, this one went Maybe. a little long. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Yeah. I'm, I'm doing all the talking. No. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, next week we'll have uh, the uh, conclusion of this chapter, and then after that uh, we got uh, something else in mind. So we're going to take an, another pause within our book, Catch your breath. Uh, don't do uh, uh, four more parts like we did the previous chapter, uh, but uh, it'll be within the same vein as, as this. So um, join us next time, finish up the chapter, and then go from there. See you next time.